Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Today, when I said to Graham, I'm going to, uh, it was Naomi who's sick. So, um, so I'm going to preach for, for Naomi tomorrow. And uh, he said, what's the topic? I said, silence. He goes, well, it should be easy. Just practice. We'll just do a practice. Strange, we're going to learn about silence. I'm going to talk to you for half an hour about silence. And uh, I believe God's going to speak to each one of us. And so I'd just like to take a moment where we allow God to increase our expectation. One thing that's amazing about God is that all of us sit here and we can see each other, but there's so much of us that's unseen, yet God sees it and he knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you need to hear. He wants to speak deep into the real you. And uh, sometimes you've got to come expecting that. Sometimes you think, oh, you know, I hope I hear something. Well, you know what? God wants to speak to you. So let's pray into that. Father, we thank you that you are present. You understand each one of us and you're able to speak to us in a way that no other person can speak. So open our ears to hear you. Open our eyes to really see you and our hearts to receive you, Lord. And we expect to see you Come in power and might and grace and compassion and love to each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know how you feel when we're going to talk about silence because silence sounds, can sound a bit boring. Depends on who you are. I mean, what we've noticed in, our, in church since like we, when we first came back, we had tables. The reason that we had tables was that um, we had to socially distance and uh, some of us thought socially distancing around tables would be better than dotted chairs where everyone sits like little islands. And some people came and sat around tables and said, this is great. You get to talk to people all the time. And some people came and said, this is horrible. You have to talk to people all the time. So we're all different. We heard that some people didn't want to come back till we got rid of the tables. So we're different, all valuable and all different. So some of you might be thinking, yay, silence. In our family, Graham would think that more than I would think that. And uh, in Paul and Audrey's family, Paul will think that more than Audrey would think that. So you probably all have that in your family, someone who thinks yay silence and someone who thinks yay fun. So Psalm 62 verse 5 says this, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. So I'm encouraging you today to, to take this psalm to begin this verse from the psalm, for God alone, it's saying, my soul, wait alone for God in silence, for my hope is from him. So our silence is key to us thriving. We're talking about thriving from within. I want us to consider it like this, that Jesus said, what does it profit a person if they gain the whole world but lose their own soul? And then he asked a rhetorical question, what is more valuable than your soul? So when he asked that question, he wasn't saying hands up, what is more valuable than your soul? It was a rhetorical question. He's saying nothing. Your soul is the greatest treasure you have been given. That is you. God created you. God dreamt you up. He, he, he knitted you together in your mother's womb. He, dis, dis, he, he decided how intricate and beautiful and amazing you would be. You are a treasure to God. And that unique part of you, your soul, is something that um, is, is profound. And sometimes we, particularly in the West, crowd God out of our very, very being. One thing I became aware of when our son Sam went to be with the Lord at 24, I had this sort of thought, revelation, something, 
that day because our family has always been a really close family and we're there for each other. Even when our kids have been overseas, we're there on the phone. What do you need? How can we help you? And they're the same for us. So we support each other, listen to each other. And suddenly I realised that Sam was standing before Jesus without us, all by himself. It's him and Jesus. And the day will come for all of us like that, that no one can hold your hand. No one can be there and say, I'm, you know, I'm standing next to you as you do this because it's just you and Jesus. It is the most important relationship of your life, you and Jesus. What do you like in your relationship? Do you even know what you like in your relationship? Because you can make your life so crowded out. And by crowded out, it's not necessarily busy. It's just that your mind is never still. You can be alone and busy in your head. So it's not necessarily a matter of inactivity that brings silence and solitude. It's something quite more profound than that. And that relationship, you and God, is the, is the first one. It says, Jesus said, two commandments, love God. So be in that beautiful relationship with him and then love each other. Jesus said everything is summed up in that. And the way we love each other emanates from our relationship with God. And our relationship with God comes from um, us learning to sit and be loved by him. If you want to really love God, sit and be loved by him because your hope is only from him. Now, over the years, I've done things like gone to prayer ministry, counselling, a whole lot of things for different things that we've been, I've been through in my life, and they're all great. But in the end, I remember coming home from a session once and I'm realising that they, that person I've been speaking to cannot change anything. They can talk to me, they can listen to me, but in the end it's me and God. I've got to listen to him and work out what to do. I've got to ask him to give me the strength to do the next thing. It's you and God. It's the most precious relationship that you have. And so as we go through this with silence um, today, I'm going to go through a few things that silence is and silence isn't. So silence is not necessarily solitude. You can be alone and you can have a very noisy head. Do you know what I mean by that? Has anyone ever had a noisy head? You can be, it can be the still of the night. You can wake up in the middle of the night and there's nothing, no sound, but you can't sleep because of the noise. It's the noise in your head. So that means you, you haven't got that to that place of silence. And this is the sort of silence I'm talking about. You can have here. You can sit in the middle of this room with all these people and you can have this silence that comes from the presence of God within you. You can leave here and you can go to Westfield or Charlestown or somewhere like that where there's thousands of people and you can have conversations with lots of people from a place of silence within. So I'm talking about generating a silence that you may need solitude to get into that, but it's a silence as a presence that you take with you where, wherever you go. So silence is not necessarily just being alone. You can be alone and you can be angry, depressed, jealous, unforgiving, anxious, afraid. So it's not necessarily solitude. It's a state of being that comes from silence. Henry Nguyen in his book, The Way of the Heart, I'll be quoting him a bit today, says this, silence is not emptiness and absence, but fullness and presence. Not the human silence of embarrassment, shame or guilt, but the divine silence in which love rests secure. You know you've got to that place of silence when the love of God rests within you and you have that sense of security and you can live in this moment we live in this moment of the love of God where you know that because of Jesus, he's dealt with your past. So often in our moments of silence, our minds can go over the past 
The past may be yesterday or it may be 20 years ago where you analyse it, where you wish you'd done something that you didn't do, that you, you wish you'd done something, you wish someone else had done something, you wish someone hadn't done something. You, you go over conversations, you go over thoughts, you, you look at your situation today and think maybe this is happening to me today because of this that happened here and you can be in torment about that. But in the presence of God, you know that he's dealt with your past. Jesus died on the cross. He's taken away your sin and your shame. He's dealt with the power of sin, which means someone else's sin towards you. He's dealt with it all. Sometimes in your silence, in your solitude, you project. You project to the future. You imagine things. It hasn't even happened, but you kind of create this future in your head that can often be miserable. And you don't need to do that. In silence, you learn to live in the moment, in the very presence of God in the moment. And in that moment, this is what you discover. Is We read in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is among you. So right here today, the Lord our God is amongst us. He is mighty to save. Mighty. That's who he is. Whatever is going on within you and among and around you, he is mighty to rescue you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The silence comes as you allow him to quiet you with his love. John, Jesus says this in John 15. He says, if you abide in, in my love, abide in me, my words abide in you, abide in my love. You can go and read John 15 and just meditate on it because the word abide keeps happening and you've got to sit and go over and over it in your head. It's a good silent activity to read it over and over again to see what he's saying. And to live in his love doesn't mean to just be nice. It means to sit in silence and to be loved, to experience his love. The love of God is something you experience. You don't just know about it. You experience it. And he will quiet you. When you experience his love, he quiets you. He stills you. Silence, a beautiful silence starts to come into the depth of your being. It says that he rejoices over you with gladness. He's in the midst of us. So here you are. You got up this morning, you got ready, and you took time out from everything else that's happening in the world to gather together for silence, really. Silence of all the noise and the words that are going on out there. Just to place yourself in a space with other believers to encounter the love of God more fully. And it says, he rejoices over you with gladness. Right now, you're sitting here and he's rejoicing over you just because you're here. But he's not rejoicing over you and saying, I'm glad that you're here and I'm rejoicing over you. You are better than everyone else who's not here. He's not saying that. He's rejoicing because you are here, because he can love you. He can speak into you. He can empower you. That's why he's rejoicing. You are here. You're in his presence. It's like if you invite people for dinner and uh, your friends who you love and you want to bless them and some of them can come and some of them can't come. You don't despise the ones who can't come. You just wish they were there. And it's the same. He's glad that you're here. He's glad that he can speak into you. And then it says he rejoices over you with singing. So we've been singing and we didn't realise that he was singing as well and he's singing over you. Even now, even when we've stopped, he rejoices over you with singing. And as you come into his and come to that silence of the presence of God, that's what you start to experience. You know that you've experienced that silence of the presence of God when his love stills your soul, 
And when you've got a sense of joy, that he is joyful about you. And that journey to get from the place of, of noisy head and noisy heart and noisy mind to that place of stillness is a journey that you go on with the Holy Spirit. And I won't go into today how you actually get there, but the best way to find out how to get there is to start trying to go there and asking God along the way. It's the only way I've really learnt it is to wrestle. And sometimes when things happen in your life that you didn't want to happen, you wrestle harder until you come to that place of stillness. And in the wrestle, you learn something as well. The only thing you have to do is to not give up along the way to know that he loves you. And then you get to that place where you start to breathe again. And that's what God wants to take all of us because that's his ultimate destiny for you, that you would be fully in his presence, fully experiencing experiencing his singing over you, fully experiencing his love. And you are the only person who can enter into that with him. No one can make you do it. People can tell you about it, but you are the other one who's got to do something about it. The next thing about silence is that it's not just about retreating, but it's about advancing. So sometimes you might think of people who love silence as just people who don't want to be with people. But it's not just about people who don't want to be with people. It's about people who actually want to become the person that they're called to be and to make a massive difference in this world. You see, in this world... Um, Words are a massive thing in this world, particularly in the last hundred years. Words have become huge. You drive along, you wake up in the morning and you probably have a phone. Who has their phone next to their bed? Probably a lot of you. You're allowed to say it. People think I'm not going to tell her I have my phone next to my bed. I have my phone next to my bed. may not be the best idea, but I do because it's my alarm. But before I had that, I had a clock radio, so I still woke up with words. And um, there's words everywhere. You get up and you get into your car and you can turn on words that come in many different forms and if you don't want to listen to the radio you can listen to a podcast or something else and you drive along and everywhere you go there are signs everywhere and they're telling you what you should look like where you should go for holidays what you should buy what you should eat what you should drink or what you should need or what you shouldn't drink and how you should spend your money and how you should spend your time as words absolutely everywhere our society is constantly bombarded with words we you know once you just turned on the news at six o'clock now you can listen to the news 24 7 if you don't want to turn on the television just open your phone and you've got 24 7 news and it says live this is the latest thing and you think i'm really in touch i need all these words and we have this conglomeration of words one thing i've noticed about words over time back in the i like reading um 19th century novels particularly like reading like Charles Dickens. Do we have any other Dickens lovers here? Paul and I. Yes, Katie, have a few of them around. And uh, one thing you notice about Dickens, so Dickens is, it was a very, very popular author of his day and he uses lots of words and he uses words to paint incredible pictures so that when, you, when he describes the streets of London and the mist and the fog, you feel like you're looking, you almost feel like you're there don't you feel like you're walking down those streets this is so clever with words but when I used to teach English and teach Dickens to year 11 students really couldn't read it because the words were big words and lots of words so what we've done instead of having deep words we've gone to lots and lots of shallow words people just want to read They don't want to read an entire article about something. Just let's read the first paragraph and get the gist of it. Just let read someone's comment on Facebook or Instagram and then we'll all go on about it ourselves. But 
you know, when Dickens was writing, he wrote in serials. His novels, many of them came out first as serials and that was sent all around the world. They came to Australia and they went to America and people used to line up on the Mississippi River for the steamboats to come up with the next part of this next serial. And these are people like in the mid-1800s, okay, and we think we're smarter. I reckon they had a higher literacy level than we had because they had a lot more time of stillness and a lot more time of meditating than we have now. We just have this sort of shallow conglomeration of words and a lot of it is great, but we need to be people who develop our, our inner being and we need to learn how to be silent so that we can have the profound words of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible is called the Word of God. It's God's Word. And of all the words that you want to hear, what word do you want to hear most? Well, you want to hear the Word of God most of all. And the Holy Spirit speaks the Word. You see, you read the Word and you listen to the Holy Spirit and He speaks to the depths of your being. And what greater word would you want in your life than the Word of God? Because the word of God is truth. You know, um, there's a story in the Gospels where um, people are turning away from Jesus because they can't cope with his teaching. And he says to his disciples, what about you? Will you two go? Will you leave me as well? And Peter says to him, well, where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone have those words. You will wrestle with things in life, but in the end, he alone has the words of eternal life. And they're the words that you want to fill you. In other words, you can choose which other words go in, but they're the words that you want to fill you. And so when you retreat into silence, you are ready to go into the world in a totally different way. So Jesus says in Luke 5, 16, often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus did that. And he's the son of God. He is God. He's coming into the world with paramount, but he's coming as a human being as well. And he felt it necessary to withdraw to places to pray. And when he came out of those places, sometimes he prayed all night. He would then know what to do that day. One time he came down, he called his disciples that next morning because he knew who they were. So sometimes you go, you think prayer is a shopping list. But going to pray in silence is a lot of listening time. Just hearing what God is saying to you, allowing him to speak into you, just asking him even how to pray for someone else. What, what would you want me to say about them, God? How, how can I pray for them? How can I bless them? Jesus did that. And he just said to his disciples in John 14, we read, Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. We are called to be followers of Jesus, and a follower of Jesus does what Jesus does, goes to a lonely place to listen to the Father and then come out and say, just as he said there, to say what the Father has told him to say and to do what the Father has told him to do. In another verse he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. So he sends, spends his time in the presence of God to say, God, what are you doing in the world at the moment so that I may participate in that? And Jesus is in, but as a follower of Jesus, you're invited to do the same thing. He, Jesus says, can you see, I'm showing you what the Father is like. And as a follower of Jesus, we say, we want the world to see what Jesus is like through me. That's my goal, that when people encounter you, they would say, oh, now I'm getting a better picture of what Jesus is like because you spend time in his presence and you say what he is saying and you do what he is doing. 
Therefore, our time out with him is of such vital importance. It's not just coming to him with a shopping list. It's actually allowing him to transform us, as it says in Romans, by the renewing of our mind, transforming the way we think. So we start to think like he thinks. And when we think like he thinks, we will say the things that he says and do the things that he does. But sometimes we rush into speaking and doing too quickly and we don't spend time to be filled with his presence. He actually trusts us to be like him. That's amazing. Because we let him down all the time and he still keeps drawing us back and saying, let's have another go. Let's have another go. His grace never fails us. He never gives up on us. And so we need to become like Jesus to say, the words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. And that comes out of our times of silence. And when we learn to have silence in a solitude, we can learn to take that silence within us into the world around us. So you bring it here, you bring it when you go to work, you bring it when you go shopping, you bring it when you go to play sport, whatever. You, you bring that presence, that stillness of the presence of God into everything that you do. Henry Nguyen says, silence is the mystery of the future world. It keeps us pilgrims and prevents us from becoming entangled in the cares of this age. It guards the fire of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. It allows us to speak a word that participates in the creative and recreative power of God's own word. It guards the fire of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. When we are too easily running around telling everyone what they should do and what they should think, and don't you hear a lot of that these days, why you should think this, why you should do this. But when we, when we participate in, in silence, we, we guard that presence of the Holy Spirit within us and we meditate on the presence of the Holy Spirit within us and we are more cautious in what we do and what we say so that our words become, as, as Henry Nguyen says, we participate in the creative and recreative power of God's own word. Jesus actually said that there are other things he'd like to say, but the Father hadn't given him permission to say them. He held back. Sometimes some of us need to hold back. Sometimes the words we use are not helpful to people or about people, to situations or about situations. So you might think I'm safe to say this because this group of people isn't here. If the words are not representing the creative and recreative power of God, don't fall into the trap of using them because you're a representative of Jesus. It says in, in 1 Peter, when Peter's writing to Christians of different areas and he says where they live and he says you're living as foreigners or aliens in this area, it doesn't mean that they migrated there. It means that they live there but they belong to another kingdom and they stand out as being different because they're like Jesus. They shine like him. And that's the sort of people that we are called to be. So our words need to be creative and recreative. They bring life to others. In 1 Corinthians 14 where it talks about prophecy, it says prophecy should be for edifying, encouraging, building up and comforting people. Is that what our words are doing? Sometimes we use our words to control, to manipulate, to condemn, to judge, to hurt. Sometimes we just throw out words without even thinking about what we're saying. And yet when we've got the fire of the Holy Spirit burning within us, our aim is that we be so aware of the presence of God that the words that come forth through through us are creative and recreative, just like Jesus' words were when he was walking on the planet and still are when you spend time in his presence and read the word and listen to his spirit. His words will be creative and recreative in you. And so as you spend time in his presence with, his, with, the, with the Bible and listening to his spirit, you will know that you're in his presence when the words you hear from him are creating and recreating you, building you up. 
healing you, restoring you. And then you take the same words to other people. And the more you become aware of that, of your words, the more you'll realize that you, by the Holy Spirit's power within you, have great power to do great good in this world. Henry Nguyen says, calling people together means calling them to that silence in which they can discover themselves, each other and God. So when we come together as a, as a group of people like this, we're being called into that place of silence. And what you discover in that place of silence, whether it be here or whether it be in your home or when you go for a walk, wherever it's just you and God and it's silent, you discover a lot about yourself. And when you first see yourself, you don't realise you're seeing yourself. You think you're seeing everything else around you. So if you take for some, some stressful situation you've got, for, for example, and you are go into a place of solitude with God and you think you're seeing the problem and you don't realise you're seeing yourself. You're seeing your anxiety and your fear. You're seeing your worry. You're seeing your self-condemnation or your unforgiveness of others. You're seeing yourself. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to show you you in this situation, not everyone else, but to show you you. And when you start to see yourself, and you start to surrender that to the words of the Heavenly Father, to the love of God, you start to see him. You start to see his power and his love. And as you can be real with God about yourself, not about everyone else that you've got opinions about, about yourself, and he becomes real with you, you will find you will become a far more compassionate person with others. The less real you are about yourself before God, the less compassionate you will be with other people and you like to use your words to control them. But the more real you are with God and yourself, the more you want to bring recreative and creative words into people's lives because you'll understand the power of God to recreate and create in you in an amazing way that no one can do. So our task when we come together is the opposite of distraction. We don't pull people together to distract them. Our task is to concentrate on the real but often hidden event of God's active presence in our lives. Because sometimes in our life we're thinking about what we, if, if everything could change now and I could just get like all my ducks in a row. Have you ever tried to get all your ducks in a row? And you just, just get them in a row and then one trips over. One knock, you knock it over generally. Or someone runs through and knocks it over and think, no, I just had the ducks in a row. For some reason, we spend our whole life trying to get ducks in a row. We have to realise they'll never get in a row. It's not going to happen. But God is always doing something. And so rather than asking God to get the ducks in a row, we ask him to show us what he's doing in our lives because he's always doing something. We concentrate on, on, on the real and often hidden event of God's active presence in our lives. And some of you will be going through things and thinking, how could this be God's active presence in my life? If this was gone, then I would see God's active presence in my life. But God has not forgotten you. He's working in you through everything. It says in Philippians 2, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Sometimes things happen in our lives that we don't like. We don't understand them. We don't know what God is doing. So then we work out that maybe God isn't doing anything and maybe God doesn't care and we pull away from God. What we're called to do is to know that God does love us. He is seeing over us. He is present with us. He did give his life for us. Therefore, when I hit a wall that I don't understand, I will continue to press into him and work out my salvation with fear and trembling. 
because my salvation is the salvation of my soul. It's me becoming more and more like Jesus, me more filled with Jesus, resting in him, trusting in him, giving my life over to him. And as it says in the beginning of 1 Peter and other places, these trials that you go through are only to purify your faith, which is far more precious than gold. So you, God is actively working in your life. Regardless, your life will look different to mine and we don't compare our lives. What we do is we, we encourage each other. So when we come together, we encourage each other to work out our salvation with fear and trembling and to see our faith become more precious, become refined like gold because it is precious to us. God is working in you regardless of what you're going through. And as you come into those times of silence, you just need to be reminded of his presence and that he is, he is the God who works all things together for good. He is the God, as I said a few weeks ago, he's the father who is for you because he gave his only son for you. There's the son who, who gave his life for you, was always sitting at the right hand of the father interceding for you. And there is a spirit who helps you in your weaknesses. And the aim of God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is to empower you to grow in your faith, to know him and to become like him. And you will have to decide to push into that. And that's why your silence is so important. And finally, sometimes silence means just that. You know, we've talked about all the spiritual and emotional aspects of silence, getting into the word of God, listening to the Holy Spirit. But sometimes it's just stop talking. Hold your tongue. You've said enough. Let's, uh, let's just refrain from talking. Ideas of value always shun verbosity. James speaks about this in the book of James in the, in the New Testament. He says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you, all must, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. How good are you at listening? If you find in your times of silence with God, it's you just rambling on and on and on for the whole time and then getting up and walking away, you may not be very good at listening to others as well. Listening is a fine art and you've got to restrain yourself in listening because often we think that we all know best. And so as you listen, what you do is you learn about other people and you learn to show the compassion and, and, the, and the love of Jesus to other people. And the more you listen, the more people actually want to talk to you. To, to, they will trust you. I did um, a course kind of a course it was a spiritual formation course with a group of pastors not last year but the year before now and uh, there was eight of us in this it was limited to that number of people because it was about spiritual formation for people in leadership and and one of the things that we did when we got together for these day courses was we had a session where two people in each session were offered the hot seat you didn't have to take it but everyone did and on the hot seat, you could share anything that you were going through. Just, part of it was to help each other. But part of it was to learn how to be people who are quick to listen and slow to speak. And so people could choose anything that they were going through at the moment, either in their ministry, in their leadership or in their personal life, and share the problem where they'd hit a wall and they just didn't know what to do. So they'd share. And uh, I remember sitting there one day and one man started to share tentatively at first. They started to pour out great grief. They were going through some very personal, very, very difficult issues and it was starting to impact their marriage. And he was very real with this. Now, you could see as he's sharing this, he's afraid because he's a pastor sharing this with other pastors and there's this kind of this expectation that if you're a pastor, nothing goes wrong. And so everything has to be perfect, otherwise you're, you're failed. And 
you could fit, you could sense that that's what he's thinking. So the second rule was the first the first rule is the person shares. The second rule is we just go around the circle and just say how we felt as he told his story. And people expressed so beautifully. They weren't allowed. There was no opinions, no opinions, no judgment because we hardly know the man. This is the problem. We we hardly know him. And I was the only woman there, so probably they expected she will be the most compassionate. But that wasn't the case. You know, one man said, I just want to sit and cry with you. I'm so sorry. I'm just so sorry. It's so hard for you. And we went round and everyone said something and you could see the man breathing deeply, like, yeah, they actually love me and no one's judging me. And then the next section, the next part that you do is everyone ask questions to clarify because often we jump in too quickly and we don't clarify the situation. And in the end, he is only allowed, you're only allowed to give advice if the person sharing their story says, would anyone like to give me some advice? If they don't want to say that, you don't give advice. But after all that, he wanted advice from us because he could sense they actually care. And the problem with many of us is that we want to jump in before we know the whole story, before we know what it feels like, what they're going through, we don't want to listen. We just want to be quick to speak. And the Holy Spirit wants us to listen. He wants us to enter into the lives of people. He wants us to sit in the dust and the dirt with people. And you've got to practice silence in the presence of God to learn to be silent in the face of other people and just embrace whatever it is that they're going through. James goes on to speak more about the tongue. He says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And we think, no, it's not. that's over-exaggeration. That's not over-exaggeration. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. We curse human beings. And he doesn't say we curse brothers and sisters who have been made in Christ's likeness. We curse human beings. They may be people who totally different to you, different religion, different whatever, and we curse them and God created them. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? In our times of silence and solitude, we learn to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we learn to become like Jesus and then the words that come out of our mouth are the recreative and the creative words of Jesus into the lives of others, and we become his vessels. Martin Luther, who was uh, led the Reformation, said, upon being asked one time by a friend what his plans were for the following day, replied, work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. And by that he doesn't mean I will spend the first three hours asking God to do things. He's realising I've got so much to do today. This is what I need. I need to hear from God. I need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. I need the courage of the Holy Spirit. I need the presence of the Holy Spirit. I need to hear his voice. I need to bring people and things before him, people who may irritate me, and ask God to show me his attitude towards those people. I need wisdom. I need guidance. I need just to sit and be still. And so he spent three hours in prayer beforehand, not just three hours asking, three hours being in the presence of God. And so 
um, the worship team to come back up. And we'll just have a bit of silence, you know, just a time where there'll be music. It's not that sort of silence. It's a silence where you can listen to the Holy Spirit and be still before him and allow him to quiet your soul with his love. Andy will sing, but as he sings, you might imagine God singing over you. I'm not saying that Andy is God, but you might imagine God singing over you, that he's joyful over you. And bring his joy into your heart and to hand things to him that you're worried about and realise you don't have to worry about them because he loves you so much, he's with you. And to ask him just to speak to you. We're all different. And he will speak to you as he wants to speak to you. So let's do that. You don't have to stand. You can sit. You can stand. You can do whatever you like. It's about all of us being here together, but all of us being one with the Heavenly Father by the Holy Spirit. So whatever you like, just listen to God. <laughs> 